So Mike uh, originally asked me to <clears throat> fill in for him as he went up to Oakland, Maryland to uh, preach for my dad's church. So it was kind of like we, we kind of had this exchange going on, and, um, and it, it was working out nice. But then uh, if anybody knows Oakland, Maryland, uh, gets, we get a lot of snow up there. It's in the mountains, and we had a giant, they had a giant snowstorm roll through, uh, and, and Mike was unable to go. Uh, but providentially, it worked out, because I think his family ended up uh, getting a little stomach bug. So uh, here I am, and uh, I'm thankful to be able to bring the word to you guys today. Um, so we're in First Peter. Um, it's been a little while since we've been in First Peter, so I want to do a little bit of a recap before we dive into these verses. First Peter chapter 1 verses 10 to 12, only three verses that we're going to focus on today. But what I'd like to do is read from verse 1 to verse 12. So I'm going to go ahead and read that so we get the context, and then we'll jump in uh, to those verses. So let me read First Peter <clears throat> chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Uh, let me pray as we open this up. Heavenly Father, will you just reveal yourself um, through this word? May Christ be known, and uh, may we taste and see that you are good this morning. We just thank you for this glorious salvation. I pray that you would prepare our minds for action with this great salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we just read, um, it's been a while, but uh, we have gone through verses in the past, we've gone through verses 1 through 10, where Peter is really just laying out the gospel, and he's laying out this foundation. 
We saw in verse 3 that he's given us new hope. Um, He's guarded this deposit, and he's guaranteed this deposit. So we have a really future orientation here. Uh, Peter, remember, um, I put a little thing in your handout there on uh, the timeline of Peter's life. So Peter's writing this in the time of Nero under great persecution. Uh, Christians are being persecuted probably right before the fire that Nero blamed Christians for. And he's writing this to believers that he's never met before, all throughout present-day Turkey. So these believers, uh, it says in Peter, they don't name the specific trials. In in verse 6, he says various trials. So uh, we know that this means many. He wouldn't have put that if uh, he was thinking specific. Later, we do see persecution. But this could be any trial. It could be internal. And we see a struggle with sin uh, that comes out in Peter as well. So he's talking about many trials that we experience as believers even today. And so he, in verses 6 through 9, he zooms in on those trials. I don't know if you remember that. It's been a while. So let me just rehash real quick. It's like taking a magnifying glass. And he looked intensely at the trials. And he told us that trials, he gave us a divine prescription. Trials are temporary. Trials are necessary, he says. And he gave us the purpose for these trials. They authenticate our faith. They refine our faith. And the future outcome of that is that we get to enjoy the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ forever eternally. And so he's looking at the trials, but now he's zooming back out. So big picture. Now verse 10 and through 12 It's kind of like pulling back, now instead of a magnifying glass, we're taking a a telescope. We're zooming way, way out here. Uh, Becky and I like to do puzzles, and it's kind of like when you find a puzzle piece, you don't know where it goes, and and you're examining that piece. You're not going to get anywhere if you just examine the piece. You've got to look at the picture, right? You've got to look at the box, and unless it's a Goodwill puzzle, where you actually might have a piece missing, uh, you know it fits in somewhere, right? Uh, this is uh, what Peter's doing here. He's showing us the puzzle piece, the trial. We're zooming in, but we've got to look at that big picture. We're zooming out here. And so looking at the grand scope of salvation is what he's going to do for us this morning. He's going to teach us, showing us from the prophets all the way forward what salvation looks like. And the, and the real deal here, what he's trying to get at, is showing us the privilege of salvation that we have as New Covenant believers. And so that's the main thrust of, of Peter this morning. <clears throat> so what's the purpose or what's the implication? I, I, I want to give this before we dive in because he gives it to us clearly in verse 13. I know we didn't read verse 13, uh, but this is actually the transition point in Peter where he goes from telling us in, in uh, dicatives what we are and what salvation we've been granted to imperative. And so in verse 13, he tells us, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the action point. So this is what Peter is prepping us with in verses 10 through 12. For what? For the purpose of taking action. Uh, the word here is gird up the loins of your minds. That's kind of a weird, does anyone have that in their translation? Gird up the loins of your mind. And I listened to a Martin Lloyd-Jones sermon. I don't know if you ever listened to Lloyd-Jones, but he's got that, that uh, real distinctive uh, accent. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, right? And uh, I, can't, I can't get it out of my head now. Uh, but but I'm, I'm hearing this. He, Peter is saying, 
here, uh, what does that mean? In those days, they wore robes, um, so tr long trains. You can picture uh, walking around. And they had a belt, um, a gird, around their waist. And so uh, we see in Kings this same language. Girding up the loins meant uh, if you were going to take action or run or prepare for battle even, um, to, to gird up your loins was literally to take up the train of your, your robe and tuck it into your belt so that you could run more effectively. And so this is the picture that we get here. And, uh, and the reason I'm jumping ahead to that is because this is all pressing towards that. He's giving us our great salvation so that we can take action. Gird up the loins of your mind with this great salvation. And so today, I, I'm not sure we heard prayer requests. Um, it, I'm sure there are some who are weary this morning. Maybe you're going through trials presently. Uh, maybe a big trial happened in your family, or maybe it's like 10,000 paper cuts, uh, which, which hurt a lot, right? Um, it's just one after the other after the other, and you can't catch a breath. Uh, these are the people that, that Peter is writing to, and I hope that you take comfort, brothers and sisters, this morning in this great salvation, because we can focus on our trials, but we really need to turn our eyes to Christ in the big picture of salvation. Uh, if we focus only on our trials, we're going to be the ones to despair, and, and there's no hope in that. So let's turn our eyes to hope as we look to verses 10 through 12. So without further ado, verses 10 through 12. I've broken this into four sections, or four um, lessons we can learn from looking at the grand scope of salvation. So the first one I want to look at is the Spirit of Christ's planned salvation from the beginning of time. The Spirit of Christ's planned salvation from the beginning of time. Where do we get this? Uh, verses 11 and 12. It's a little bit subtle, but if you look at verse 11, it says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, that's the prophets, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And then later we see in verse 12 that the New Testament preachers were sent by the Holy Spirit from heaven. And so uh, I think one of the big things that we need to focus on that Peter's calling us to here is that God is the author of salvation. God is the author of salvation. The divine mover behind the prophets, the divine mover behind the New Testament preachers is the spirit of Christ. And that's extremely important. Peter starts with this, as to this salvation, he says, verse 10, concerning this salvation, <clears throat> this whole section is about salvation. And God is the author of salvation. Uh, if you look at salvation as a definition, I uh, just want to briefly talk about that. From a, from a definition standpoint, salvation is pretty simple, right, uh, to understand, and yet it's extremely complex. Salvation is simply being saved, right? Uh, if you want to boil it down to the most basic definition is being saved. <clears throat> but then we can start asking all kinds of questions. Saved from what? Saved for what? Um, when? These are all things that soteriology, you could take a whole class on, I'm sure, and Paul, you can probably attest to this and, and still just scratch the surface. Uh, there's so much to know about salvation. Well, one of the distinctives we see in Peter, if you look at verse 3, if you flip back real quick to verse 3, the salvation is actually spoken about in three tenses here. So one of the aspects of salvation is chronological. 
Uh, we see a past salvation, a present salvation, and a future salvation. And we see this in Peter. <clears throat> in the past salvation, in verse 3, we see that he has caused us to be born again um, through a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a past event that we can anchor our salvation in. It happened, right? Uh, we have a present salvation that Peter speaks about um, in chapter 2, verse 2. <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Do we long for spiritual milk that you may grow up into your salvation? So he talks about salvation being realized presently. And then where we're at right now in verse 9, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter uh, talks about a future salvation, a salvation of your souls that has yet to happen. This is really the climax or the pinnacle of salvation where we get to stand face to face with our creator, the one true God at the climax of salvation. And so we see this wonderful grand salvation that Peter is speaking of here. And this is done through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. <clears throat> so, um, the second point, and this is the point that I uh, really want to hone in on mostly, because this is the point that most of this passage is about, is that the Old Testament's prophesied about this salvation. So the Old Testament prophets prophesied about this salvation. And if you're following on your outline, you'll be able to see there are a lot of points off of this that, that Peter dives into, and we'll see that purpose in a minute. Uh, but first, <clears throat> I think the thing we clearly see here is their method, their method of prophecy. So the prophets, it says, Peter says, uh, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and searched and inquired carefully. They searched and inquired carefully. These two verbs, there's a lot of debate about what they potentially mean, but taken together, I think we can realize that they mean laborious searching. He's giving the picture here of prophets who are laboring over the word. They're laboring over their visions, asking, inquiring, wondering, studying. And certainly this serves as a model, but I think it's more than that. The purpose is more than that in this passage. If you'll turn with me, we're actually going to do a little bit of, actually a lot of flipping around today. I try to avoid that, but uh, really with this passage, I think we're going to benefit most when we look at this robust picture of salvation. So uh, flip with me. I have there Daniel 8. Um, we just went through Daniel. Pastor Farrell did in the service, so just be relatively fresh. Daniel 8, chapter, or verse 15. <clears throat> and what we're going to get here is two examples of how the prophets searched and inquired. What did they inquire about? What was Daniel inquiring about here? So I'll read verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, therefore... Or, or there stood before me one having the appearance of man. And then if you'll turn forward to 12.8, Daniel 12.8, we see a really similar example with Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 8, I heard, but I didn't understand. I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And so here we get two small examples of a prophet, and these are just a couple. 
We could go to many places, but two examples of a prophet inquiring of the Lord. He was given a vision. He was given a future prophecy, but he still was seeking understanding. He was inquiring of the Lord. What does this mean? What does this mean? And so if you look back at Peter, it makes sense that Peter says, the prophets who prophesied searched and inquired carefully. The other thing we know about their searching is that they underwent severe persecution and turmoil in their searching. Um, Christ himself says, I won't uh, have you turn there, but in Luke, if you want to make a little note of it, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but um, Luke 49, um, Christ himself says, the wisdom of God said, I will send prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation may be charged against this generation. So Christ himself says these prophets, they weren't just given this task as something basic. This was a monumental task to prophesy the coming salvation, to prophesy the coming salvation. They underwent laborious searching and persecution. But let's look not just at their method, let's look at the topic of their prophecy, the topic of their prophecy. Verse 10 starts this. We see three things about the topic of their prophecy. They prophesy about the future grace that is to come. They prophesy about the person and the time. And they prophesy about the sufferings and the glory of Christ. And the reason on your outline why I have sufferings and glory of Christ in bold is because that is really the pinnacle of this passage. That's, that is the climax. And we're going to really focus on that most this morning. And so it's a theme we see all through Peter. But first, <clears throat> just briefly, uh, future grace. Future grace. So you see verse 10, the prophets prophesied the grace that was to be yours. That's the readers. The prophets were well made aware that God, by his very nature, was merciful and gracious. So it's not as if the prophets were saying, Oh, I don't really know if this is a gracious God. Remember God, by his very definition, how does he define himself through the whole Old Testament? I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So it's not as if the prophets didn't realize that, right? So this must mean something more. They're prophesying about a future grace, a specific culmination And specifically here, they're prophesying about that future culmination in the cross of Christ. And we're going to see that as we go through. To get a better picture of this, let's turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. I warned you we're going to be flipping around. This is just a beautiful passage. As you're turning there, just to give you a little context, Christ is talking in parables to the disciples. He's just finished the parable of the sower. And in verse 13, he talks about why he's speaking in parables. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and their ears can barely hear, 
and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, speaking to the disciples, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here, the very words of Christ, I think just shedding immense light on what Peter is driving home, the privilege of salvation, the privilege of being on this side of the cross, frankly. The prophets labored intensely for this future coming salvation that they never got to see firsthand or experience firsthand. This is a great privilege of salvation that we have in Christ, and that's what the topic of their prophecy is. In addition to future grace, they prophesied about the person or time. So in your translations, if you look at verse 11, (coughs) inquiring what person or time. Now there's a lot of debate among scholars. You might have a little note. I think my ESV has a note here alluding to time could be interpreted in many different ways. Uh, the, The main thrust of this is that the prophets were inquiring um, some people think it was the manner uh, instead of time, but, but I think the bottom line is um, they were looking for the future Messiah and if he would come in their generation. I think those are the, the big points that they were looking for. And we see that in Matthew as well. I'm not going to have you turn there, uh, but you probably remember this exchange between John the Baptist. Uh, after John the Baptist was imprisoned, they sent for him uh, and, they, and he asked what? What did he ask of them? Is this the man? And this was after John the Baptist had just said, this is the lamb, right? <laughs> this is the lamb. And now John the Baptist in prison, and he's doubting. Is this the, is this the man? Is this, is this the Messiah that, that has come? And so we see this example of, of a prophet inquiring, is this, is this the Messiah? And what did Christ tell him? The blind see, the dead live, the lame walk. He's telling him, this is the time. This is the time. I have come. I am the Messiah. John, I am the Messiah. What a privilege we have seeing Christ in salvation. The last topic of their inquiry is the sufferings and glorification of Christ. And this is where I really want to hone in on uh, because this is the whole theme of Peter. This combination of suffering and glory should, should sound familiar already. It's, it's what Peter has already unpacked in verses 1 through 9. Um, and we see this through all of Scripture, that like Christ, we are also called from suffering to glory. And so we're going to get this picture as we go through Peter, but especially here. The prophets looked forward to this. Um, let's, let's look at this through Peter just to capture the grand scope of these passages. Um, so I just want to read these. You can follow along if you want, but um, as we go through, just I think very pressing, giving us the picture of Peter's thrust. What is his main argument here on the suffering and glory of Christ? It's that you, just as Christ, will go through suffering, and you, just as Christ, are surely guaranteed glory and future salvation. So let's just listen to these precious verses. Um, verse 6 through 7 of chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold, though tested by fire, will be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he was, bef- he was foreknown before the foundation of the world and manifest in the last times. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Then 2, verses 21 through 24. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And then verse 3, 14. 314. But even if you should suffer for righteous, righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 4 verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Verses 12 through 19, I'm not going to read all these, uh, but this is the famous passage of the fiery trial. Do not be surprised when a fiery trial comes upon you. And then finally, verses 10 through 11 of chapter 5. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I can't add much to that. (laughs) God's word is, is so rich. And Peter here, you get this idea has this on his mind. It is in every chapter of this letter, suffering and glory, suffering and glory. What about you this morning? Have you considered Christ's sufferings for you? Have you considered the manner and the volume that Christ suffered for you? Christ suffered monumentally more than we can fathom. Uh, We can look at so many ways he suffered, but I think can boil it down to Um, many different types. Physically, he suffered, right? Physically, he suffered by being beaten, lashed, thorns on his brow, whipped, starved, carrying his own cross up a hill. For you, emotionally, we could say, I can handle physical pain, maybe. Physical pain's not fun, right? But what about emotional pain? That hurts, right? Family, betrayal, Friend betrayal. Christ went through all of that. Betrayed by a close friend. Ridiculed. Mocked. Jeered. Defamed. Spat on. Falsely accused. On top of that, his disciples fled. Left him in the dust. Alone. But even those two were the least of his suffering because the most of his suffering was spiritual. When he bore the wrath that you and I deserve, that we've earned for ourselves, he bore the full weight of this on his shoulders, the full wrath of God upon himself for you. 
Look at the thrust of this verses 10 through 12. It's amazing. To you, the grace that was be to be who? To you, to yours. Inquiring what person time person in time was indicated to them, and he predicted the sufferings of Christ. It was revealed to them. They were serving not themselves, but who? You. In the things that have now been announced to who? To you. Through him, or through those who preached the good news to who? To you. By the Holy Spirit from heaven. Peter is saying, he's thrusting and making this argument. Look at the privilege of salvation. This is to you, even to you, a sinner who doesn't deserve this. Christ suffered and was glorified. It was prophesied from old. We now see this culmination, and it's been given freely to you. What a precious gift. What a precious gift. So we see the topic of suffering and the glorification of Christ that empowers us as we go through even our own trials and suffering. Look to Christ. Next, we see that the New Testament preachers proclaimed this salvation. Proclaimed this salvation. In verse 12, we talked about already that the prophets were serving future generations. But now we see a turn in in, uh, the, the latter half of verse 12 in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you the gospel. So New Testament preachers proclaim salvation. I'm only going to make two quick points here because this isn't the main thrust of the passage, but we certainly can gain a great understanding here. Um, Peter is making the point here that preachers, New Testament preachers, brought the gospel to these believers in Turkey. And I think we can draw two things from this. One, uh, that God has designated the means of the gospel to be preached through his people. And two, that the topic of their preaching is the gospel, is the gospel. So let's look really briefly at those two things. So those preachers were divinely sent. This would be amazing to these first century believers. They're Gentiles, remember. He's primarily writing to Gentiles who have no part in salvation prior to this, none. And now they're being told this gospel is being brought to you. Gentile believers. Amazing. These Gentiles would be marveling at this and probably remembering the preacher or the person that they've heard the gospel from. And I would ask you, as we reflect on this, to think about when did you first hear the gospel? Who told you the gospel? Was it your parents? For many, I think, parents. For many, friends. Could be a complete stranger. I know uh, Becky, uh, my wife, when she tells her testimony, it's, it's a complete stranger at, at crew that she never saw again who explained the gospel and it sunk in. Um, we are indebted to faithful preachers of the gospel, and God has divinely appointed that moment for you to hear the good news. That's immensely encouraging, immensely encouraging. We need to be thankful for that. What a privilege. For that, And it should also spur us on to do likewise. Preach the gospel to someone. They need to hear it. Everyone needs to hear it. If it's a fellow brother or sister, they need the gospel to encourage them in their trial. If it's an unbeliever, they need the gospel for, the soul, for their soul and for salvation of their soul. The content is 
the gospel. Um, there's no fancy gimmicks here. There's no entertainment. There's no extra. There's no glitz or glamour. The gospel. And we should take that pattern and run likewise. We preach the gospel. And we preach Christ crucified. Because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. So lastly, if it wasn't enough for believers to already hear of Christ's suffering and future glorification, if it wasn't enough that God's lavish grace has now come to them, the Gentiles, the prophets foretold of this coming event, they looked longingly forward at this event. Now Peter gives us this last zinger, like Peter likes to do, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. And it seems to maybe come out of nowhere. Um, you know, Peter, where, where did this come from? Things into which angels long to look. But I think we'll see it makes sense in the context and the main purpose of Peter showing us the privilege of salvation. He's going to show us beings who are unprivileged in the fact that they do not ever get to experience salvation. And I think that's the main point here of Peter telling us about angels. So let's look at this a little bit. It seems like an odd statement thrown in there. Things into which angels long to look. Uh, the word long to look here in Greek is only used a couple other places, but the one place we see it actually is when Peter was beat in a foot race to the tomb. I don't know if you remember this, uh, John chapter 20. Uh, it says they both took off towards the tomb and John beat him there. <laughs> so maybe Peter was a little better about this, I don't know, um, as he was thinking about this verb, but he uses the same verb. Um, John beat him to the tomb, and he looked into, is the verb, looked into the tomb. And you get this sense in, in, in the passage in John chapter 20 that John is, is peering into the tomb. And you can kind of picture it. Is, is Christ alive? He's, it's an expectant. It's a probably heart beating. Just this, oh, is, is he alive? What's, and John's peering in. And then what does the verse say after that? Peter runs in. <laughs> so, so even though John beat him there, Peter just marched right in, right? Uh, in typical Peter fashion. So, <clears throat> so this verb, long to look, is used in the same sense here. You get almost the sense that angels are peering over the bastions of heaven, down on the unfolding redemption of God from the beginning of time, the prophets, all the way to the end. And they're going, what a great salvation. Look at this. Wow, what is God, what is he doing? And, and you might be thinking, and, and which is right, um, didn't the angels herald the gospel? Haven't, haven't they been the ones bringing the gospel to Mary and, and the future Messiah and proclaiming it? And you're right, yes, they have. Haven't they been battling and warring nations? We see that in Daniel. They're, they're on the front lines battling. Yes, they have. It's not as if they don't know the gospel is coming. Angels long to look into these things because angels will never experience salvation like you and I experience salvation. Why? Because these angels have never sinned. And if they did sin, they're completely fallen with no hope of redemption. We have hope of redemption. Brothers and sisters, this is so precious. You and I, though the weight of our sin may be present on our mind, maybe even this morning, I sinned yesterday, I sinned today, I got impatient with my kids. Yes, it's ever-present. We have this glorious hope of salvation that even as surely as Christ has risen from the dead, your sins are buried with him and you will 
see him in future glory. What a precious, precious promise. The angels longed to know this. What is, who is this God who forgives sinners? Who is this God who forgives freely? Let's look lastly, and this will be the last thing for the sake of time, at Revelation 5, because I think we get a grand picture, and I want to leave you at the foot of Christ in heaven, and I think Revelation 5 will do that, where we get a picture of the angels who used to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who now sing a new song after the Lamb has opened the scroll. So we get a picture of the angels in this setting. Let me read, starting at verse 1, chapter 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him seated at the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing and those it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals For you were slain and your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and elders and the voice of many angels, numbering in myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and everything in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is what we have to look forward to. Brothers and sisters, this is the grand salvation from beginning of time is no accident. God planned this salvation. And angels long to look into this salvation. Have your hearts grown cold to the greatness of this salvation? Do we long for something more, a new thrill, a new experience, something more than what's in God's word? This is it. It doesn't get better than this, folks. The great salvation is that we have Christ for all eternity. Do you know him? As the prophets of old long to look forward to this great salvation, as the angels long to experience it, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good this morning? I pray you have, and I pray that as you're going through trials, as I'm going through trials, this is what we run back to. 
gird up the loins of your mind and run with the knowledge of this great salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for the day that we stand before your throne singing with the angels and all the heavenly hosts, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power forevermore. I pray, Lord, for each of us in here as we go through our weeks, as we go through our trials, that we would remember Christ, that we would remember his suffering, remember that he was glorified and that we get to share in that glory, that we long for that day, But even so, as we're still here on earth, may we run with endurance the race that you've set before us, looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who did not despise but willingly went to the cross and endured hostility and shame for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.